Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Inclusion Podcast. I am Dr. Julie Costin, and I am so excited that you've tuned in with us again today because I have quite a treat for you. And it's a treat. I don't know if Darlene wants to be called a treat, but here's what I mean. I met Darlene about 14 years ago, and she was working with students who had the most complex communication challenges. And I was literally in awe watching her work. And then I'll fast forward from 14 years ago to when I first met her to now, when I saw a Facebook post that said she's going to be going kind of back on her own again. Between that time, she was a speech and language pathologist. She has worked in public schools. Uh, she was a program specialist. Uh, she started her own private practice. Then she became the director of communication services for a nonprofit in California, and then she's back to the private practice. And the reason I'm excited to share her with you today is because she's agreed to do work now with inclusive schooling, and it is literally the piece of the puzzle that I've been waiting for. And I've been waiting that Darlene is gonna say this, and she did, which is I'm kind of on my own again. So Darlene Hansen is someone who is passionate about complex communication. She is talented in ways that I've not seen before around communication, and I'm just thrilled that we're going to be working together. So let me just welcome Darlene to the podcast. Hi, Darlene. Julie, thank you. That was a very nice welcome. <laughs> it's true. It's true. When I saw that on Facebook, I was like, hey, Darlene, can we talk? Um, and I should tell listeners really quick that we have started writing a book about students with complex communication needs. And I need to explain why this is so critical to the work of inclusive schooling. And that is because every school that I'm in, people will include all the students except for those seven students or those three students or that one student who doesn't yet have communication. And no one can figure them out. Therefore, they don't get access to everything else. Darlene is gonna be someone who can help with that last issue. So super excited. And I think on the flip side of that comment is when I'm doing presentations or talking to smaller, larger groups of people, so often somebody in the audience will say, well, you're not really talking about my students. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm continually saying, I am pretty sure I'm talking about your students. <laughs> um, and that hasn't, that's not a new thing that's been happening for 30 years. Uh, as we start to think about individuals as being communicators and presume competence and try to think outside of the box, we develop strategies and, and develop relationships with individuals so that they can be more communicative. But that's us doing that. And so many times people think that, that we're not talking about their students when we're talking about the most challenging persons on our caseloads. Yes. And I want everybody to know that I'm talking about those students. Yeah, if we so here, if you're listening to this podcast, think of the most challenging learner you can think of. That is who we're talking about. Think of someone who does not have access to verbal communication right now. That is who we're talking about. This podcast needs to be shared with everyone you know that has, quote unquote, the most challenging communication needs. Those are the kids we're really referring to. So I'm going to jump in and just ask you, if you don't mind, to, uh, Darlene, to just share with us a story about any student really that has challenging communication to just get us into well, the podcast. Go ahead. One of my more recent stories. Okay. Um, 
I, I tend to work with the most challenging people. Those are the phone calls I get. Mm-hmm. Um, but my most recent story that I think was kind of enlightening even for me. Um, I have a student that I'm working with right now. He's um, uh, middle school age, mm-hmm. but he doesn't go to school. He's at home with his mom um, because school is too challenging and they haven't been able to find a placement that would work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a non-speaking child mm-hmm. or young boy. Uh, he uses his behaviors which I tend to refer to as states of regulation, not really a behavior, but Mm -hmm. everything's a behavior, so I guess I could put it that way. Okay. It's very dysregulated just with the question and any kind of imposition. Pulls hair, slaps your face, gets very stuck in this, and not only is not speaking, but his communication system is very limited, and it's only behavioral. Okay. So when I'm working, so I've been working with him, And we're trying to get him to understand the power of communication. He's been introduced to spelling to communicate, Mm -hmm. but he can only do like lessons, only spell out words that we told him to spell out. So it's not communication yet. I'm trying to get him to understand this because every time we work on something, he hurts us Mm -hmm. and he gets dysregulated. So it's not been um, an easy road. Mm -hmm. So I thought of another client that I have who's now 20 who lived that way when he was his age. And I put them together and kind of in a mentor kind of a thing. And um, the older student, uh, they did meet the other day, just on Zoom, because we're in COVID time right now. <laughs> right. And uh, the other student expressed, we told his story and expressed some words of confidence, words of moral, of support. Mm. And that was it. And that was our conversation. The student I'm working with right now, he didn't do any participation really, other than to say thank you and very limited, but he mm-hmm. listened the whole time. Half hour later, I meet with that other the, the little boy, mm-hmm. and uh, he sat in the room, which he doesn't ever do, mm-hmm. with his mom, and, and I on the Zoom, did a little bit of work, felt the need, I guess, to get up and get some food, so he got up, walked to the kitchen. His mom says, oh, I'm going to go with him. Mm-hmm. She follows him to the kitchen. Next thing I know, he comes back into the room, picks up his communication board, takes it back into the kitchen, types out olives. Olives. Okay. Comes back into the bedroom, sits on the bed with his mom and finishes out the appointment. (laughs) Never before had he ever done anything like that. I'm looking to see where this goes, but I think he's starting to get the idea that, oh, I could just tell you something and it all works out without all the fight or flight impulse. So Darlene has said, I'm just going to kind of reiterate a few things. So Darlene has said a million things in here already that I'm hoping people can hear. Most of the behavior that we see is communication. And a lot of it is also the fight or flight. And so when you work with a student who has very challenging uh, communication needs, they will often flee the room and not return. And that's basically to say my system is overloaded. You also use the word spelling to communicate. And what you're meaning is, and I've so appreciated this thinking, is that anytime you give kids visual supports to type or to communicate, we're limiting what they can say. But when you give students the alphabet to use to communicate, now they can communicate anything they want. And I'll use olives as an example. It's hard to guess that this kid really wants olives, right? <laughs> That's not probably a snack that I would pick that you know I would offer as his mom or uh, anything else, but instead he went and was able to use the keyboard as a way to type the word olives to get the snack he wants. And so I just have to think about the power in all of that is pretty, pretty fabulous. 
right? And he has had a PECS, which is Picture Exchange Communication System, in the past, but it doesn't really give him, he, isn't really, he doesn't use it. He, he just sees it as an activity that teachers do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and, um, and like you're referring to, highly doubtful that we would have all of his needs met in um, a PECS board that I personally can create. Right. So the 26 letters is give, are giving him that opportunity to express himself. Beautiful. Um, we've mentioned it a little bit already, but I just want you to really be clear to the audience. How do behavior and communication connect? Because a lot of times people say, we're first going to get this kid's behavior figured out. And then we're going to give this kid access to communication. That's a pretty common. And I understand it. I don't want to say it's uh, that it's not smart because a lot of people say until this person is safe, we can't work on communication. I understand that. But can you talk more about the link between the two? So, it, yes, it's accepted that behavior is communicative. Yeah. We get that part. Yeah. But I think where we fall apart, and I'll tell you, I'll describe it a little bit better, but in a nutshell, um, is that we think that we can figure out a behavior, communicate a function of a behavior through an ABC plan, antecedent behavior consequence. So we'll take data in an ABC form Uh to figure out the communicative function of a behavior. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people have to be realistic about this. We find that, oh, there's that stuff that he's doing that I just don't know where that comes from. Yes. And we just kind of disregard that and we go, okay, let's go with what fit in the ABC box. (laughs) And then we're still left with a person who's using behaviors to communicate with us, whether they be self-injurious or people injurious, they're just behaviors, okay? Mm -hmm. So there are many behaviors that people are experiencing that are not gonna fit in an ABC box because they're happening internally, whether it be physically or you're actually thinking something, Mm. Um, but internally something is going on that's causing this behavior and it doesn't have anything to do with us on the outside. Wow. So some do, I'm not gonna say they don't, Right. But then not everything does. Um, Can you give an example of that, Darlene? Because I, I think that's really interesting. As educators, we're often looking at observable behaviors. But can you give an example of an something happening internally that we might not know about? Well, there's a student that I've been working with for the past year now. And mm-hmm. she has a uh, touch chat on her iPad okay. that she can use quite nicely for predictable things. Um, but she also can spell. Now, they don't do the spelling piece at school, uh, so she's just using that at home and then with myself, mm-hmm. and that's her life right now. So one session, she comes in, and she was sobbing. Literally, like if you were just sobbing because mm-hmm. you just had the death of a loved one sobbing. Wow. Okay? Running around the office, grabbing things, throwing things, Um, screaming, throwing herself on the wall, Mm -hmm. on the floor, all this was going on. Mm -hmm. So finally, we're trying to console her. Mm -hmm. Finally, she sits down on the floor and I sat with her Mm -hmm. and um, started to dialogue with her. Mm -hmm. And I presented her spelling board Mm -hmm. and she started and just kind of problem solving. Something's going on. Tell me what's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, she ended up typing out and she didn't like tell me her deep, dark secrets (laughs) in in a lot of language. Sure. But through our dialogue, came up with and she's she's typing out I'm panicked and I'm, I'm thinking you know, she's like 10 yeah <laughs> so I'm thinking that's an odd word to use as a 10 year old but mm-hmm. okay whatever mm-hmm. so I know what panic means so I go so you're feeling panicked so we start talking about your panic and just t- 
talking about it. And I keep telling her, get it off your chest. People feel better when they get it off their chest. And um, she started to calm down. Now, she had been sobbing so so hysterically that she never, in the whole hour, did actually calm down. And you'd get that <laughs> yeah. kind of right? Right. once in a while because mm-hmm. it was that, that traumatic for her. So we didn't actually get to solve the problem because she wasn't panicked about anything that was really going on right now. She was just had this feeling of being panicked. Yes. And once we started talking about that panic, it started to calm down. Um, she was able to gain her composure. And when she left, she was not happy, but she was content. She was comfortable. She was okay. Mm. Um, whereas she was not safe when she walked in the door. Yeah. Um, now that could not have happened with a I'm mad card. <laughs> it, it couldn't have happened with I'm tired or I'm sick or I need to go to the bathroom on my communication board, which are common things that we, we think real small when we think of those replacement behaviors that we want to put in and we call those communication. Mm-hmm. But people don't need to, I mean, of course you need to say you're happy, you're sad, you're mad, but if you're really mad and you just cleared the table of all the materials that are on there, then I don't need you to press a card to say that or a button. I got it. You're mad. I need to know why you're mad, what's causing this mad. Mm-hmm. How can we fix this mad for you? Mm. So we need systems that create that opportunity to say, it's too loud in here. I'm panicked if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, on that too. Yeah. As she's when we when we were done talking about it, and her mom and I were kind of reflecting, her mom had said, said to me. And she pulled up her phone with all these notes and said, you know what? For the past month, she keeps using the word panicked. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, I would not have known that 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 was that's a word that she would have in her repertoire or need to say. I just have to pause for a minute. And I want listeners to think about the word panic. And I want you to think of a time that you yourself have felt panicked and sometimes for good reason, like for me. Uh, If I'm in an airplane, so I don't like to fly. And if I'm in like I'm stuck and I'm in a middle seat, I've had two or three panic attacks in my life. And I'll call them attacks because they lead to tears. It's not pretty like it's I just know my system is in panic mode. And so I want listeners to think about a time that you've been sort of maybe panicked for no real reason, meaning I wasn't in actual danger, but essentially that's what my systems were doing and saying. And now if you're a person with autism without any communication, just how confusing that is without a way to just get your voice heard and to be able to sit down and talk it through with someone who not only hears you, but also validates that and says, whew, panic is hard. Let's get through this. Let's talk it through, right? To be able to bring you down. It's just really exciting to think about what even just being heard did for her system, right? Yeah, it was it was a pretty powerful appointment. <laughs> yeah, I would say. And then, for her. <laughs> right, right. So if you don't mind sort of sharing what every teacher or person needs to know when working with a student who struggles to communicate, I hope this isn't too broad of a question, but it's like, there would be many people listening to the podcast who work with people that are still puzzled, so, 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 so puzzled by the human beings that they're supposed to work with and teach. Um, can you give us some tips that everyone might need to know? Well, I think first and foremost, you need to know that that, str- that student is struggling to communicate. Mm. So they personally are struggling to communicate. Mm-hmm. Their, their way of responding or not responding to us is not their personal choice, more than likely. Yeah. I'm not going to say that everybody doesn't have an attitude. But, but the reality is that most of the people that I meet 
they would like nothing more than to participate with us. But it is so difficult and they struggle so hard to do that. But so, can I ask you a question? Why does understanding that it's a struggle matter? Is it so that we approach the student who's struggling with a certain kind of empathy or? Yeah, I think we need to understand that it's possible that he actually is having a hard time right now uh -huh. and doesn't want to be having a hard time right now either. So yeah, empathy would play in, in a positive way. If we could put ourselves in that place with the student, then we don't tend to just mechanically go through and say, oh, use your board. Right. Um, oh, he doesn't understand community. He doesn't have a means of communication. Mm -hmm. I had a school system person tell me a little boy who uses the iPad quite proficiently at home mm -hmm. has who can whose objectives at school were to work on penmanship and writing words. Mm -hmm. So he obviously had words somewhere. Mm -hmm. Say he doesn't understand what a simple system does, mm -hmm. and and so therefore he didn't need a system. Mm -hmm. And. None of those pieces went to two plus two did not equal four in that story. <laughs> right, right, right. We make such assumptions. And the idea that uh, so presuming that the student wants to communicate is a piece of it. And then also assuming that there's a bit of a struggle for the student makes it so that you don't think it's willful. You don't think the person is behaving in ways to sort of annoy you. And you don't also assume that the student can't ever do this task. It's that they're struggling to do this task right now. Right. And our job as teachers, educators, parents, mm -hmm. however, professionals, however you want to talk about it, um, is to create those opportunities for communication mm -hmm. and to and support the student to learn how to effectively communicate in that fashion. It's the same thing we do with little verbal kids when they're developing language. So if they say Baba, you say, oh, you want more bottle? Yeah. Right. You don't say Baba. It's not Baba. It's more bottle. You just model it, and then eventually he starts saying, more bottle, please. And that kind of thing happens. And we don't offer that to the individuals who don't have speech. Hmm. And if they can't muster up enough nonverbal communication to be effective, then they're penalized in a sense because we, we label it as he doesn't understand communication. Well, no, our job is to help him do that. <laughs> So think about how long it takes a verbal person, a human being who has access to verbal speech to really get into the, the ability to communicate well. It takes a lot of developmental time to get there. And so when we've got, let's say, a 12-year-old who still doesn't have access to communication, we have to have all that time and energy put into the modeling and to the presumption that I mean, just imagine if your two-year-old said Baba or your one-year-old said Baba, I guess, and you said, nope, you know, <laughs> you didn't say it right. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so we have to shape and offer those opportunities for um, our students who are struggling to communicate and yeah. teach them how it works. And you want to, just like speech and developing spoken language, you want to do that in a natural context. Mm -hmm. Because that's how vocabularies develop. That's how social skills are developed. That's how communication acts are developed. In a social context, they're not, in a natural context, they're not developed at a table with vocabulary words being presented to you. And, and that's speech and language 101. Um, but I think for some reason we forget that. We think you have to have a vocabulary before you can learn how to communicate with it. Mm -hmm. And that's not how anybody develops communication. 
Can you briefly make a connection between inclusive education and what you just said? Because I see a connection between that, meaning if we pull kids out to work on vocabulary based stuff versus using rich communication opportunities, what happens for kids? Well, if you if you only learn how to communicate in isolation, Mm -hmm. then you don't understand what that activity is doing for you. Yeah. Like if I learn all my 10 vocabulary words in a year, which is something no one should ever have on their goals, then I'm not going to learn how it works for me. But if I have vocabulary throughout my day that applies to my experience of the day, I'm not only going to learn vocabulary, I'm going to learn how it works for me. I'm going to learn how to use you for that Mm. and share my past knowledge for that. All the pieces that go into it. And that happens in a natural context. Now, that's not to say that you might not need a little direct instruction about, hey, this is how it works. Yeah. But that can happen in the natural context, too. It doesn't have to be um, mastered how it works in isolation. It it won't generalize. That's not how people develop. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, Anything else you want to say about what every teacher needs to know when working with students who struggle to communicate? No, I just think it. You have we have to we have to be the ones creating the opportunities. Yeah, beautiful. Can you give us three tools that you would say like this would be a tool that I want everyone to know how to use with a person who struggles to communicate? Well, my favorite tool mm-hmm. is the whiteboard. Yes, <laughs> dry erase board. We used to call them dry erase boards. Yes, I love those, and everybody should have one in their desk, in their backpack, wherever you need to be. Um, because, And I love it because we as communication partners can create a system that sets it up for that student on the fly. Yes. And so you never have to have, a, never again do I need to hear a teacher or a, a support person say, oh, he didn't have the vocabulary in his board. Right. Because that would happen if you relied on the pre-programmed system. Because you cannot so predict, you cannot predict every discussion it's impossible exactly so whiteboards are awesome wait how would i use a whiteboard darlene so let's say i'm just hearing this for the first time and i'm working with a student i'm going to be really simplistic if you don't mind but let's just imagine in a classroom that's the they're talking about states of matter so liquid and gas and solid i think maybe (laughs) sorry to the scientists that are listening let's just say they're learning those things what might you put on the whiteboard to get the person to communicate or to answer questions? Well, if let's say it was a, an activity where liquid, solids, and gas. Yeah. Okay. You, if a person understood print, uh-huh. if you knew he understood print, that doesn't mean he has to spell. He just understands what print is. It's yes. a visual system. Yes. Then you could write down those three words on uh-huh. the board. Yep. And then you could say to the student, if the teacher is saying, okay, let's categorize this. How about... Um, Ice. Water or ice. Yeah. Okay, ice is a solid. And then he can point to solid. Mm-hmm. He can tap on solid Great. or he can look at solid, however he accesses it. So I want and you to hear that. Hold on a second because you just said something pretty profound. He can look at the word solid. So he might not even yet have pointing as available to him. So he can look at the word solid if you put him in three different quadrants of the whiteboard, right? Right. He can point to it. Keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can... Now he's participating in that activity as it's happening. Right. So I think that would, that's, a, the, the whiteboards are just awesome. If you, if you need to, you could draw little pictures, you know. You have to remember that if you 
participated or sat through an activity that a teacher taught, mm-hmm. then you now have an opportunity to know it. Yes. It's not prior knowledge. It, you just taught it. And so go ahead and the teacher showed pictures or however you see the pictures, draw a little ice cube for solid, draw a little wavy thing for water, liquid, and draw a little gassy looking thing. Yeah, maybe dots or something. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it doesn't have to be words mm-hmm. because if you're doing it while they're talking about it, now it's a vocabulary. Now see if he understands. <sighs> Are you sure that you don't have to test that child over and over and over and over to determine that they know and understand the liquid, gas, and solid? I'm absolutely positive, <laughs> you have, but you do have to ask the question. I know. I'm sorry. Ask the question. You don't. We don't know. Never soon. Okay. Good. Thank you. And then the third thing, I guess, would be. I mean, and this doesn't really fall into. Um, it's probably bigger than what you thought, but you have to have trained communication partners. You have to have people supporting you as a student that understand your communication system, how to set you up, and how to help you grow mm-hmm. and participate at the same time. Because our students, especially those who are most challenging, if they could communicate effectively, independently, they wouldn't be in this predicament. Right. Darlene, I'm looking at the time and I'm just thinking to myself, there's so much that you have to offer. I'm going to review what you just said. And then I think what we'll do is wrap this conversation and then we'll jump into a second podcast so that you can share a little bit more with us about how to effectively support students who struggle mightily to communicate. So the last thing you said is I just asked for three tools that can get us started. And you said whiteboards. And then the second one, you said kind of visuals, uh, line drawings or words. And then the third one is a trained communication partner. That's making me think my brain is spinning right now, just thinking about what would it look like if every school district worked on having, instead of just a paraprofessional support, but instead of that, utilized paraprofessional supports as trained communication partners that were trained in how to provide supportive communication, but also how to connect students to their peers and how to get out of the way so that students could start to have natural communication. So um, is it okay, Darlene, if we stop here and have another podcast right after this? Sure. Okay, great. So thanks, Darlene. I'm going to stop everyone because I promise usually that these are going to be shorter podcasts and we're already at a half an hour, but it's too fascinating to stop. So join us on our next podcast if you want to hear more from Darlene. And we're going to talk on our next podcast about how do you communicate with a student who doesn't use verbal speech. And uh, we're going to hear another story about a student that Darlene has worked with. So thanks, everybody. Thanks.